electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Yeah, it certainly is. Uh, Carl, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour, much better than feared. That is the word as earnings kick into high gear and several big names beat expectations. We debate what's at stake now in the days ahead really the hours ahead, too, with the Investment Committee. We also have some trades to discuss, which we will. Joining me for the hour today, Brenda Vangelo, Jason Snipe, Steve Weiss, Joe Terranova. Let's check the markets. Uh, Carl was talking about yields, and they uh, really are keeping a lid on things today. 410 on the uh, 10-year. We're above 450 on the 2-year. So that's a major issue, as you can see in the uh, major averages. The Dow is uh, not getting much going today. It's tried a couple of times. It's up but seven points. The S&P down about 12. NASDAQ, a lot of the action's been there. It's down a third of a percent. Um, But Netflix is very much the story, Jason Snipe. It's your stock, and way better than feared, I think it's fair to say, right? They more than doubled what the subscriber number was. The question is, where do we go from here? There's no doubt about it, Scott. Obviously, the subs uh, increase was was the narrative for the stock and hence the bump. Um, I remember when I was with you a couple quarters ago when it was in the other direction, we had a blow up of the stock. So obviously, this is very powerful. And I think also the the catalyst of, you know, this ad tier supported program, obviously, it will likely attract new subscribers, which I think will be good for the stock. I think it's interesting that they're not going to guide to new subscribers going forward. You know, I think I think that's interesting. But the other thing I think, you know, as, as just in general, in terms of headwinds for this stock, I mean, there's still 60 percent uh, of their business comes from overseas. They have to figure out how to monetize uh, the folks that are password sharing. They did speak to that on the call, which I think will be beneficial um, and help the help the stock move forward. But I think the risk reward plays pretty well here. It's still down 54 percent year to date. You know, the stock has always traded at a premium trading at 26 times. A, a lot less than it has been in in the past, you know. So, so I, I like it here. I, I trimmed it last summer, um, but I still continue to own it because I think there's opportunity in the long run. You sold it, Joe, um, last year. Last year, six fifty. Should investors be comfortable with the no sub guidance going forward? I mean, Netflix is obviously trying to change the story. They're trying to change the narrative that we're more about more than just subscribers, right? Now we have multiple revenue streams. Should investors buy into that story or challenge it? So if you do have a concern about that, that's not a concern that you have in the moment, because what has now happened is that it is very clear that a fundamental trough was put in place in the spring. After the April earnings report, you went through this period, you made the low in May, you had the stock that kind of was in this period of what we would call a malaise, and now you've got fundamental confirmation that they've returned to growth despite the challenges of the currency headwind 
And even better, Scott, you've got the technical confirmation for the very first time. And now technicals are taking hold. And I think from a technical perspective, the stock from where it is right now at 275, there's another 10 to 20 percent here potentially on the upside. I'm sitting in Disney right now. I'm not going to get 10 to 20 percent out of Disney in the near term. You have that ability with technical momentum behind the stock right now. It'll close the gap from April 19th to April 20th up to 335. You will have a lot of algorithmic non-discretionary funds that will gravitate towards this stock. And they've been really doing it over the last several weeks, as you've seen the outperformance. Why aren't you getting into it if you think there's like that that considerable upside? I want to make the move. Um, I would have to sell out of Disney to do it. Um, But but candidly, next Friday, I've got the uh, Joe T uh, rebalance and reconstitution. So ahead of that, I'm really not making any moves on the other side of that, though. Uh, that's something I would you, certainly consider. OK, you, you may recall on yesterday's show, you know, Josh Brown, who is a, a recent um, entrant into Netflix, said, quote, this is not a stock to get bullish on at earnings, I'm not racing to buy it here. I'm willing to bet a lot of bad news is already in this name and there are a lot of positive uh, potential catalysts. So let's bring Josh in. He joins us now on the phone to give sort of his take on on what he heard, uh, which is what, Josh? Hey, everybody. Uh, I heard enough to keep me interested for the next quarter. So I'm rolling up my stop. I'll be playing with the house's money. The stock is still on a leash for me. But I think what they've been able to do now is move the narrative away from, oh, no, Netflix's core business is, is under siege to more of a narrative of, okay, we actually have some new ways we want to try to make money. So having a reacceleration in Sub ads is great. That's probably why you have the pop today. But if there's going to be real money made in this stock from these levels, two things have to go right. The rollout of the ads, which they are sandbagging already, they're telling you, like, don't get too excited in Q4, which is wise. Um, but then also, they are doing two other things that I think are interesting. Number one, they're going to stop guiding on subs. They want to take the narrative focus off of that specific number. Um, if you recall, Apple did that with iPhone sales in 2018, and the pitch was, look, we're going to be about a lot more than just the growth in iPhone sales. We're selling, you know, we've sold 230 million phones or whatever that year. Um, at a certain point, everyone that wants a phone has one, so it's going to be about the upgrade cycle, but more importantly, it's going to be about uh, subscription business and other services. And they did it. That was four years ago. Yeah, are you Nobody cool with Are you cool with Netflix doing it? Because as I suggested, I they should. As, as I suggested, I just should. because they tell you you should focus on on things other than the pure subscriber number, doesn't mean you necessarily should. Well, we want the number. Like we want to know how many subs they have. There's a limit to how opaque you can get. But I don't think Netflix wants to live or die every quarter based on that number. If there, if the ad tier is going to blossom into a major line of business, then arguably the number of new sub-ads every quarter um, should not be as important. And I also think that what they're going to do with all of the password sharing, mm-hmm. that's going to be a Q123 story. They're going to give different layers of users with different levels of engagement more ways to pay them. They're going to allow existing accounts to add sub-accounts. They're going to allow people who are using stolen and or shared passwords, mm-hmm. really the same thing, uh, an opportunity to pay a lesser amount. They're just being smarter 
about the, 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 the number of users and what that can mean to them financially. Okay. So, look, when they were growing subs by 20% a quarter, they had the luxury of ignoring all that stuff and looking past it and saying it's not that important. It's a matured platform. Things have changed. Now they need to focus more on monetization, and that's what they're telling us they're going to do. So I think what the news we got last night is good enough to buy them the time to, in Q4 of this year, uh, launch the ad platform, and in Q1 of next year, get the sharing uh, thing under control and focus on taking in more money from more people. All right. And the content has to be on point, and they're focused on those three things. Depending if you're a shareholder, you should be happy with what you heard. Okay. Uh, I appreciate you calling in and telling us that. And, and Weiss, look, I mean, investors like Josh and Snipe and those who may not own the stock and are thinking about getting in need to decide what multiple they're willing to pay for. What is a new mm-hmm. Netflix? Focus off of subs exclusively and focus on these new revenue streams that they think they have. And now you have to decide whether you are going to transition yourself as an investor from a high growth subscription based model to a more traditional media model. That's kind of the narrative where it is today. Yeah, and I think that's true. And, and there's a lot to what uh, to what Josh and Jason said that I, I think is correct. Um, look, I missed it, you know, at uh, at. 20 times, that's when I would have loaded up. I'm not loading up here because guess what? Market's giving you another opportunity on basically every stock where you don't buy it on a 12 or 14% spike. So to me, the only thing I disagree uh, with Jason on is it doesn't matter where it came from, period. It doesn't matter where any stock came from. That was free money, an environment we will never see again in our investing lifetimes unless disaster strikes again. So forget about that. Look at it today. Today, they're coming out saying we're going for profitability, which is something they've really never said, right? And you've got to wait to see what happens in terms of the cannibalization of the ad revenue versus what people are paying full freight. So the companies being, they're not being cagey about it. They truly don't know. So if the stock came back down, I've got a shopping list. This one is on it because I do believe they have the best content by far. I do believe in a challenging environment that you're going to get rid of the ones that don't have the same well, content. But so then in, 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 look, I'd push back on you when you, sure. when you say, well, it, where it came from doesn't matter. It, 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 it does if you believe in the fundamental rebirth of the story and that's part of the hook for you is like look okay seven hundred dollars seemed crazy at a time where times were crazy now it's come way back to earth but it has a big fundamental story to build upon so you could say well it's come down too much from where it was it can rebuild its way maybe not back to seven but it can get you know incrementally better it does matter in certain instances as no one is suggesting nor was jason to my best uh, understanding of it that the only reason to like the stock or a principal reason is because it was at seven and now is at 273. Uh, and, and you have that- liked stocks before that you have liked in part because they come down um a lot the ringer off they've come down a lot that that i mean you can't yeah, dismiss uh, that out of hand. No, no, I'm dismissing it as a data point. I absolutely do not think it should be a data point in this environment. The environment's changed. However, so maybe it should have been 500, not 700. Let's play with that, okay? 
The difference was that the fundamentals are so much different now. They've always had a little, been a little choppy in terms of subscriber growth, but it's never been we've lost subscribers. It's always been we just haven't gained enough. So now you want to see. Well, the last two quarters, they did lose subscribers. Exactly. That's my point. So that helped to bet the decline in the stock. And I would say is maybe one of the principal reasons. And that's because the fire hose opened. So you're still underwriting some COVID revenues, whether investing in the private market or the public market. I'm unwilling to underwrite any sustainable revenue stream Mm -hmm. from COVID. Brenda, you know, on any other day, in any other time, this stock would be helping the market out considerably, especially the Nasdaq, which has been, you know, in the last couple of days, obviously, with the rally, it's had a nice move. But before that was at a two year low. The problem is, and I know you don't own it, so I'll pivot you to the reason why the market is not rallying at least technology or the Nasdaq any more than it is today is because of rates. We remain a prisoner to yields. What are we at? For 412 on the 10 year. The two years at 455. So we have a March higher. And as yields continue to move higher in the 12 minutes since we started the show, stocks continue to incrementally move lower. That's the issue. Yeah, I pressed my short, too. And Weiss pressed his short. While Josh was talking, he gave me opportunity. Okay, Brenda. (laughs) So I do think that we still have the overhang of inflation and higher rates. And until we get more clarity on those two things, which should go hand in hand, I do think we're going to be in a trading range, and it's great to see some green on the screen, especially the last couple of days, and in response to earnings that are you know, better than feared. But I feel like we're having a repeat of the second quarter all over again, where things got, you know, people got really bearish heading into earnings, not quite as bad. Uh, we have a little bit of a relief rally happening, although we still have a lot of earnings to get through, I will say. But I don't think, I think once earnings are over, there's just not going to be a catalyst unless we start seeing inflation really come down by by CPI measures uh, start to come down more meaningfully and then have a much better sense for exactly what the Fed's plan is. And if the plan is uh, pausing rate hikes after this year, then I think that's, it's really close. It's two months away. Um, so I think that could absolutely be a catalyst. But without that catalyst, I think that the, the market is likely to continue to trade in a range. Yeah. I mean, the other thing, obviously, looking after the bell, it plays right into your hands because you do own Tesla. You're one of the few in our investment committee universe uh, who does a stock that's down 37 percent year to date. What are you looking for? I mean, it's ov- always about production. Are you encouraged going in to the number or are you concerned? Well, I'll say this too. You know, we, we added we added Tesla to our portfolio for the very first time at late in the second quarter of this year after the stock was also down and out, although we now have a, we have a neutral position relative to our benchmark. Uh, but what we're looking for here, I think there's not going to be a whole lot of surprises. We already know uh, the total number of cars that were produced. Uh, we know that they've had uh, problems uh, with logistics. Uh, so I don't think there's going to be a surprise there. But we really want to get more clarity on and what I think could be a catalyst for the story is really understanding the production ramp um, at their Austin and Berlin facilities and how that could positively impact profitability. And similarly for the Shanghai facility that was closed and now reopened, you know, those are important pieces uh, to the overall profitability story. Uh, but I do think it's worth having exposure to Tesla, uh, especially down at current levels that really have a first mover advantage. 
very strongly positioned within the EV market. We'll have, obviously, the report and the analysis in overtime the minute that that hits, and we're looking very much forward to that, Joe. And just raises the bar and the issue of mega caps next week, which you've cited yesterday and in the prior days, the importance of. You got a lot of reiterations today of those big stocks. Morgan, uh, Morgan Stanley reiterates Apple overweight. Bank of America, Alphabet buy. Goldman Sachs, Microsoft buy. Um, so they're all right in front of us. So I, I, I think it's very important to understand that while we're in this environment where the macro has really taken the market prisoner, volatility is above 30. You've got the three month to a 10 year about to invert. You've got the two year pressing towards 460 now at this point. You have to find idiosyncratic stories. I respectfully disagree with Stephen on Netflix. I think that's a story specific to the stock that you could trade around. The same can be said for these mega cap stocks. And most of these mega cap stocks now, they come in on the defensive for the very first time. They come in on the defensive from the perspective of how the market is pricing them heading into the earnings report. We have valuation resets everywhere except the mega cap names. And you have to call into question if after next week it's the beginning of these companies losing that premium valuation. Well, you had a, you, well, what do you mean? You, you have had a lot, a, a ton of valuation reset in those names. You have, uh, many of them have been trading at, at 52 week at a, lows. They're still at a, but they're still the valuation is still at a premium. Well, it's at a premium to the market. What, does it deserve the premium? That's what I'm. That's the question that I want answered next week. Does it deserve the premium? Is it the place for all all the you know money managers and people like myself that carry overweights? to names like Apple, is it justified or not? Now, the last point on that is I think so far, earnings have been better than we feared. We feared a much more difficult environment for financials, hearing last night from Netflix, even with the currency headwind, not so bad. So the other side of that is something building here, Scott, that's kind of positive, and does the mega cap earnings week next week confirm further that maybe this earnings period marks some sort of a cyclical low. Can I say that's how important next week is. Can I save Joe a week of sleepless nights, please? Um, yes, they do deserve a premium valuation to the market. Wow. And they have been reset because they're global brands with global brand names, with great management and with, in some cases, basically a recurring revenue stream, particularly Microsoft. But there's a premium and then there's a super right. premium. They exactly. had a super premium and now it's just a premium. So if you take a look at Google, to your point, it was about 26 times. Now it's 18 times. Mm -hmm. So there's concerns there that it is an ad driven company and that's going to uh, to slow down. They've been messaging that for the first time. We've seen major layoffs by all these companies, not just once, twice. Mm -hmm. In terms of meta, though, I think that deserves a discount to the market. Jason Snipe, you own Alphabet, uh, Apple, Amazon, and Microsoft, so weigh in. Yeah, so for me, as it relates to, and I think Joe made some, some good points here, I mean, price does matter, and there has been somewhat of a price reset, you know, but these names have done really great uh, over the last decade, and, you know, we're, to Weiss's point earlier, I mean, we are in a different market, it's a different climate you know, we, we have rates rising, we're, we're getting to restrictive territory, long duration assets will struggle some in this environment. Now, not every story is, is weighted equally, you know, but if I look at cloud as an example, I mean, cloud 
through the pandemic, growing 50% Azure, uh, Google Cloud. I mean, these, you know, AWS, they've grown dramatically through the pandemic and, you know, 50% quarter over quarter, year over year. Um, but these numbers will start to pull back some. But I think uh, as it relates to these names being relatively defensive and playing a role in your portfolio, I think that does make sense. Uh, there will be other areas that I think of the market that will lead us out of this versus, you know, how, how strong uh, a lot of these names have, have, have done over the last two years. So I think, I think it's a balanced uh, story and, uh, you know, it'll be a good read through on the consumer as well going into next week. See, Brenda, Jason, you know, raises a good issue that, you know, these stocks, many of which have been deemed as defensive names. So when you hear a Bezos, for example, on Twitter suggest it's time to, quote unquote, batten down the hatches, that's his tweet from last night. Do you go pure defensives, classical defensives, or do you play these as defensives as for so long in this market over the last you know, couple of years, at least a uh, few handful of years they have been at times. Yeah, well, I think we have to look at this group of large cap stocks in particular. And no, yes, they're incredibly financially healthy. They're not going away anytime soon. They're they're well positioned in the markets they play in. But many of them are very mature at this point, including the markets that they play in. And that's a much different scenario than the last two economic downturns that we've lived through with these names. And during the pandemic, it was a perfect environment for many of them. And prior to that, in the financial crisis, they were all very much much earlier in their stage of growth. Um, and so they really weren't as impacted. But this time around, I don't think they're necessarily gonna be safe uh, from a more protracted economic downturn should that transpire. It's not necessarily what's happening here. We don't have data suggesting that's what's happening right now, particularly in the US. But if that were to happen, I don't think they're gonna be as immune as they have in the past. Uh, so in our view, you know, if you're looking for opportunity, we look for things that are more washed out, things that have more of a growth opportunity in front of them here and now. Uh, we still own positions in many of these stocks, but in many cases, we're underweight relative to the benchmark. I mm -hmm. um, still think there's opportunity, but I think there's opportunity elsewhere as well. Okay. We're going to take a quick break. Up next, we all know Steve Weiss has been bearish for a long while, but he is buying right now. And one of the stocks he is buying is flying high today. Pardon the pun. His latest moves are next. Plus, the rally in energy rolls on. We'll trade that, too. We're back in two minutes on half. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours, too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit ODFL.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. 
Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. All right, yields up, stocks down. That's the story. That stock, though, not down. 8% gainer today. United Airlines, it's one of the best performers in the S&P on the back of those strong earnings. Steve Weiss, you bought the stock yesterday. Before? Uh, I bought it Monday. bought it Monday. All right. Okay. All right. Today's Wednesday. Yeah. All right. So stick with me. Carry on. Yeah. <laughs> carry on. Look, I was looking for some exposure to the market because I really have whittled down positions, as you know, and I have been very bearish. Uh, and then Mike Wilson came out with that call. Actually, I'm giving him a shout out. It's not really why I did it. But I saw Delta reported great numbers, and that stock reacted very well in a bad market and flying a lot now. You can't even give credit when you want to give credit. That for me, that was like, right? that was a major, major You can't even get the Mike Will, before acumen. you can make a Wilson out of your mouth, you had to, you had to pull it back. Yeah, you you know, well, well, he left the camp, you know, so. You uh, sold half of it, though, today? I did sell half of it today. Look, I've got about 10% in the stock in a day and a half or so. So you got to take some profits. It's kind of market. And when I looked at yields, man, I don't ever recall the sustained march up in yields in the 10-year and the equity market not being down triple digits. I'm not just talking about today. I'm talking about the entire week. So I think that divergence is not going to last long. And ultimately, you'll see equities come down. Why'd you buy Bungie? BG. Uh, again, uh, you know, I, I had sold deer and for a while looked like a genius. And then this stock's just been a straight short tear. While. Um, short, very short while. That I look like a genius yeah. or that I hold deer? It could be either, frankly. Second. Right? Um, uh, <laughs> Extraordinarily short while. Yeah. Uh, Go you ahead. Know, uh, I'm here every Tuesday. You know, please, pay, <laughs> you know, please come in and watch. Yeah. Listen, um, because I think the food, the world needs food, right? And I'm looking for something that's at the bottom. Joe used to love this one. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it's a low-risk buy down here. So that's why I bought it. You still have ADM? I, I do. You I do. do? Okay. So yeah. you like this trade? I, I still like the ag names. It's, it's a longer-term secular story more than anything else. Um, it's been struggling lately, as has Bungie. I think it's a good level to get into. Yep. Uh, the other earnings beat today was P&G, though they did trim their sales outlook. Brenda? What do you think? You own this stock uh, today, as do you, uh, Jason Snipe. So it's a 2% winner. Yeah, and if we look at organic sales growth, they did have some volume degradation a little bit. It was overcome by pricing. Uh, but we still think that the consumer is healthy. Uh, they are, have been negatively impacted by the dollar, as are whole multinational companies at this point. But we still think the consumer is strong enough to continue buying branded goods. They're selling certainly at the lower end. We would expect some trade down to private label. But for now, we do think this company continues to be well positioned, is very defensive. Uh, so we're continuing to hold it. Jason Snipe, what about you? You stay with it? Yeah, I stay with it here. You know, especially, you know, obviously they had 7% organic growth here. Um, dealing with about a $4 billion charge from just supply chain inflationary cost. Um, but if you believe that we're potentially heading into a recession, close to a 3% yield, why would you sell the stock here? You know, it, it's not... You know, it's not a growth name, but it's a staple for a reason. So and, and to Brenda's point, I mean, there, there hasn't been real significant trade down. So they're they're benefiting, you know, on that front as well. OK, we have a nice week going for cyber stocks. 
And there's a bullish street note out today on that group. We'll debate it next in our call of the day. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Hello, everybody. I'm Contessa Brewer. Here's your CNBC News update right now. Indonesia will demolish the stadium where a deadly stampede killed 130 people earlier this month. The nation's president said the stadium would be rebuilt according to FIFA standards to ensure better safety. A report by the Indonesian government found excessive use of tear gas contributed to the riot following the October 1st match. Flesh-eating bacteria are becoming a real problem in Florida after Hurricane Ian. The state health department reports 65 infections and 11 deaths so far this year, driven by a surge in cases in hard-hit Lee County. Officials warn standing water left by the storm could be a breeding ground for potentially deadly bacteria. And at least 100 million people woke up to freeze and frost warnings across the country today as a winter-like cold front moves through the Midwest and the South. Temperatures 10 to 20 degrees below average in cities from Dallas to Atlanta. The cold air mass also responsible for the first snow of the season across the Great Lakes in the Midwest. And of course, Scott, that set a lot of records for the earliest snow of the season. I mean, we haven't even reached Halloween yet. It's too early. Way too early. (laughs) Way, way too early. Contessa, thanks. That's Contessa Brewer. Cybersecurity stocks, they're on pace for their best week in nearly four months. Today, Baird is out with a bullish note. We've made it our call of the day. So, Joe, CrowdStrike is yours. I mean, you have Datadog, too. But CrowdStrike is they love that stock. It's their top pick, uh, along with a couple of others. Uh, It's also outperformed there. Why do you, like they, like it so much? Okay, so there's three names to consider here. There's Palo Alto, there's Fortinet, and there's CrowdStrike. Immediately, I'm going to take Fortinet. I'm going to place it to the side. It's under pressure recently. In the case of Palo Alto and CrowdStrike, The bad news has been priced in. It happened in the spring. They made their low similar to Netflix in May. They've been recovering ever since. Why do I go towards CrowdStrike? Clearly, from a valuation perspective, you're getting a better blend of value and growth with Palo Alto. No question about that. Palo Alto trades at 50 times. CrowdStrike is trading at 85 times. But since CrowdStrike became public in 2019, This is where you're going to get that growth. And if you believe that cybersecurity Mm -hmm. is an area of technology that is going to see considerable corporate spending, which I do, then you want to invest towards that hyper growth. And without question, when you're talking about 58 percent to 60, 62 percent revenue growth for this company, that's the right company to be in to correlate with your expectation of significant spending. That sounds great, but then why is the loss year-to-date double the loss of Palo Alto? Isn't that what it all boils down to, regardless of what how great the story is. Okay, so I'm, be, I'm being convicted on a moment in time. If you pull back the lens, that's not the story. 
uh, that will be told when comparing these two stocks. Okay. And by the way, Palo Alto, I've owned it in the past. It's a phenomenal company. And for someone... You want me who, to go back a year? Who, well, I mean, I can go back a year. No, you go back. You're going to have to go back. Crowds down, to go back to 29. I, I got you. But I mean, crowds down 44.5% over a year. Palo's only down 5. Okay, so let, 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 me, let, me, let me argue the case. Try again. Let me argue, Counselor. The, let me argue the case for you. I'm an actual you. attorney if you need my help. Let me ar- we, we don't need you right now. Okay, let me you. argue the case, okay, <laughs> that if you are a more conservative investor then Palo Alto is the stock for you. There's, there's no question about that. Palo Alto is the better stock for you. But you, if you are an investor that is focusing on growth and you're trying to identify in this economy, in this environment, where are the industries where I'm going to get above-trend growth looking forward? Cybersecurity checks the box. And if that's the case, then I'm going to try and generate a little bit of extra alpha. I'm not going to look at the past return. Okay. And I'm going to try and find the company that has more of ability to capture larger market share. A bigger component of the total addressable market Mm -hmm. is there for them to grab it. Palo Alto is a little bit entrenched in that already. CrowdStrike's gonna grow into that. I wanna wanna invest towards that. All right, Jason Slave, do you wanna take the other side? I mean, because you're on the other side. You have Palo Alto. Yeah, yeah, no doubt about it. So I I hear Joe on, on all the points that he just made. And, you know, I would just go back to the macro environment that we've been talking about for weeks. You know, if I look at a stock for me as a portfolio manager is trading at, you know, 85 times versus 50 times, I believe the fundamental story hasn't changed at all for cybersecurity. I think and I, I remain bullish on those themes. I think corporate spend, enterprise spend towards cybersecurity is not changing at all. But it, I do think price matters. I think in this area, you know, especially, you know, as a, Scott, you already mentioned from a from a return perspective, I mean, relative to the market, I mean, Powell's down close to 5%. I mean, it's, it's really done well. Um, I, I do think there's a, there's a lot of beta in a CrowdStrike. There's likely a lot of upside. But for me, Palo, Palo's the name is one of the incumbents in this space. I think it's, it's performed very well. And I think it still has 25% upside uh, in terms of earnings growth from here. So for me, that's the name that I would select here. Why aren't you here, Weiss? You know, first of all, you've put me in a very comfortable position, or uncomfortable position of, of agreeing agree- with me, of being agreeable at all. I'm not used to that. I'm not here because you lost the valuation umbrella of the market, so they've come down. I agree with surprisingly with something you said, which is that corporate spending is going to continue. Uh, I agree with what Jason well, said. I, you may notice I'm starting to sweat. With Jason said that I'd rather buy companies that have a more sane valuation. CrowdStrike also is a hype stock. It's what, if you go anywhere, it's what a lot of people are talking about. And I think it masks really what the fundamentals are, and that's a very solid company. So it's a shame that it's not quite in the ape camp yet, but it's what everybody talks about first. You've got to own CrowdStrike. So I'd rather own something a little more sane, like Palo Alto, when I put money here. And I think it's a, it's a group that's going to continue to grow. Brenda, you're not here at all. Why? No, and I agree that it's likely to be a place that's pretty insulated from a, you know, a cutback in corporate spending. It's really a necessity. But when we look at the valuation of the names out there, we just cannot get comfortable at current levels, especially given the backdrop, the valuation backdrop of the broader market. So certainly if we were to see a more protracted pullback, we would consider, but right, right now we're not. Gotcha. All right, coming up, energy is the biggest gainer today. It continues to be for the month and the year as well. A few stock upgrades in that sector. 
as the uh, upgrade parade begins, I mean, or continues, I should say. We'll, we'll weigh in on that. And tomorrow, do not miss CNBC's Disruptor 50 Summit. You can join virtually for the trends that will disrupt, enable, and power growth for the next 10 years and beyond. And to register, you can scan the QR code you see right there on the screen. We are back right after this. All right, 412 on the 10-year stocks, pretty much at the lows of the day. The energy rally, though, it continues. The sector's up 17% this month. Oil services on pace for the third straight positive day. So, Joe, EOG got upgraded today, Morgan Stanley. Price target, though, cut to 147 from 149. You own the stock, which is why I go to you first. Company that is well diversified, company that has the international exposure, company that is absolutely going to participate in what ultimately will be an increase in trying to find solutions for the secular supply challenges that we face right now, not only as a country, but for the rest of the world. Until that time, until that time, you have to maintain, in my view, the overweight to energy. You want to try and maintain that overweight to energy in a company like EOG, where you have a degree of respect towards the balance sheet. I don't think this is an environment where you need to accept the excessive beta exposure in energy and try and allocate towards companies that are more debt laden, okay? You need to, you, you, the market gives you the free pass where you could look towards the Exxon Mobiles, the Chevrons, the Pioneer Naturals, the EOGs and say, okay, mm-hmm. I like the story around energy, but I'm going to make sure that I also have respect towards a balance sheet. Y- That's the right way to approach it. You own EQT as do you. Mr. Weiss. I do. I do. And EQT, if you look at it, say you say, wow, the company's losing money. But those are just isolated one-time items. And the company actually next year, if you go there, is going to be selling at a single-digit multiple. They're not gas, which is where I prefer to be. Uh, so that's why I own EQT. I, I just think it's, it's a great story. The quants aren't picking up on it yet because of the valuation as of today, not getting the full story. So... Jason, you got an ExxonMobil upgrade today to buy at Jefferies. They call it a premium stock. Uh, they think it'll rally more than 30 percent. 133 is the price target. I bring it to you because you own Chevron instead. Why Chevron over Exxon? So for me, you know, I think you could own them both, quite honestly. I mean, Chevron, if, if I'm looking at Chevron if, as a fully integrated oil company, you know, fortress of a balance sheet, over a 4 percent yield, you know, again, talking about the supply-demand uh, narrative that continues to play out. We have the SBR release. I mean, energy names have just been really resilient. The XLE is up 50 percent, you know, year-to-date. So these names are still uh, going to benefit from, again, the supply-demand mismatch. Um, you know, and Chevron happens to be the one that we, that we like the most in the space. You know, just, just I think all the strategic verticals for them. But I think Exxon, Exxon could continue to do well. And a lot of the energy names, I think, will continue to benefit. I think Joe makes a great point, too, on, on the, the higher beta names. I don't think you need to own them in this space. Brenda, you know, so Jason essentially says you can own both, right, uh, Exxon and Chevron. You as well, though, choose to own Chevron over XOM. What's your reasoning there? 
Yeah, so this is a longer term holding for us and really has been the more financially disciplined of the two. Uh, so we've owned it for that reason. Now you could argue in an environment that's as good as this one, that shouldn't matter as much. It doesn't. You know, cash flow is so good that it's allowing everybody to participate and shore up their balance sheets in many cases. Uh, but we continue to own Chevron for that reason over the long term. You know, we also have a position in Chenier. Really think that, you know, looking at global demand for liquefied natural gas, particularly given what's happening in Europe, there's just not going to be any slowdown anytime soon. And they're incredibly well positioned. Another company that's really able to use that really strong free cash flow shore up the balance sheet a little bit here in this environment. You, you could do with this information as you as you wish, but I had a conversation with someone that used to trade with me back in the 90s in the commodity space, and you could say, okay, everyone's basically tipping at one side of the boat, or you could say there's tremendous confidence in energy. But the perspective uh, that she presented was that when you look at commodities right now, most of commodities are in decline for the year. Copper, gold, silver, even some of the, the agriculture names. And it's really just, even natural gas is now falling back, it's really just oil, where you could find that supply to demand fundamental strength, where you could find the technical uh, strength and momentum, and where you could find the confidence. And a lot of commodity capital is isolating specifically towards oil and energy itself away from those other areas. Like okay. I said, you could take that one way or the other. To me, I, that's, that, to me that's, that's a vote of confidence. Uh, okay, right, we got to go, I'm um, being told. All right, uh, stay with us. Mike Santoli's next with his Midday Word. We're right back. All right, uh, there's your market picture as we bring in Mike Santoli from the New York Stock Exchange for his midday word. And it's uh, no surprise in, at all that we're, we're at the lows of the day as yields are, Michael, at the highs of the day. I know it's repetitive, but play yeah. the story that's in front of you, and that, that's it. It's pretty much the story. Yeah, I mean, you can watch it throughout the day uh, as sort of the pressure builds behind the dam, you know, with yields going up. The one-year Treasury yield in the last week has gone from four and a quarter thereabouts to 462. Uh, we're getting toward the 5% projected Fed funds rate in the first part of next year. We're not saying it's happening, but that's where the market is now uh, tacking. And, you know, things like the dollar yen, I mean, that chart looks like uh, it is just in escape velocity mode. So once those things happen, you start to ask, okay, those moves getting stretched, are we going to get a break uh, and, and maybe give some relief to what equities are dealing with, which is a pretty decent or at least uh, kind of not, you know, not as bad as, as it could have been earnings season. The Atlanta Fed GDP is now running 2.9% for the third quarter. And you have to ask if that's a good or a bad thing, because it means the economy can absorb more of what the Fed has for us. We have two more weeks uh, till the Fed meeting. So we'll see if the yield moves sort of exhaust themselves before too long. Uh, but it's tough to, to project that. Still up 3% for the week in the S&P, though. I mean, I'm looking at the 10-year, three-month spread, which you know, people look to as a better signal of recession. And we're yeah. only at 13 basis points between the two. Oh, it's a lock. I mean, once we get the next Fed uh, rate hike, it's almost certainly going to nudge it uh, above, above the 10-year yield. So uh, it seems like you have to either say it's different or the market's already discounted uh, a recession or it could just be kind of a cursory one or not. Or maybe that is the, uh, the tripwire. Uh, we certainly have to see. But I think that's one that you can really just see see coming. It's, it's a when, not if. Yeah. All right. I'll see you in a few hours uh, for your last All word. Right. That's Mike Santoli from the Stock Exchange. We do have a new note out as well that we want to discuss. Top stock ideas for your portfolio. 
in this market. And of course, we have ownership on the desk. Halfcom, uh, we're back in two minutes. All right, so we got Oppenheimer out today with some of its best ideas. Home Depot, Jason Snipe outperform, uh, which you own. By the way, it is the worst performer, we're told today, out of the Dow Jones Industrial Average. Yeah, I still like the housing adjacent names. Obviously, housing is, continues to be under pressure. But when I look at Home Depot and I look at the pro, the, the, the pro contractor, I, I still continue to see upside. It's trading at 16 times forward. It's down 33%. But I think there's still some juice left here. What do you think, Joe? Depot? Lowe's? Neither? I'm just not, I'm not there yet because there is this expectation that I think you have to build in that everything that the Federal Reserve is doing at some point is going to choke off, choke off the consumer demand. And the first place that that demand is going to be choked off is in a place like Home Depot. No, but the consumer is like still pretty darn strong right now. Today. Today they are. And, and that's not true. It's bifurcated, the economy. You've got the upper-end consumer that's pretty strong. Lower-end consumer is just under siege and has been for months. So, so I, I like the name. I think I don't recall it being this cheap in a long, long time. But I'm going to wait. Uh, for Jason's sake, I hope I'm wrong. For my sake, which I like my chances better, uh, I think I'll be able to buy it cheaper. Chipotle outperform. Uh, same place, Joe. That's one of Oppenheimer's uh, top ideas. What do you think? Getting into a little bit of a position where it's going to have to prove itself once again in the next earnings report. What they've done successfully over prior quarters is shown the resiliency in the wake of the environment. They, without question, have pricing power and they have a fantastic management team. But once again, they're up against the clock in terms of, OK, prove it again that you could do it. Hey, Bren, uh, CME Group uh, as well on this list with an outperform rating. You own that. We do, and in many ways, this is really the perfect perfect environment for CME. They really benefit from interest rates rising and all the hedging activity that goes along with that. You know, fluctuations in currency, fluctuations in the commodities exposure, and just uh, overall volume in the market. Uh, so, would expect for that to really be reflected in their results going forward. Okay, we're gonna take a quick break. We will do final trades right after this. Oh, you know what's coming overtime tonight. Uh, Tesla earnings, got to be there for that. IBM as well. Got Josh Brown, Bryn Talkington, got some shareholders in those names. And uh, we're going to kick that all around right after the bell in overtime. Let's do final trades. Brenda, what do you got? Uh, Yes, trading at just 10 times earnings. There is earnings drag from the stars uh, news, but we think that's going to be made up for uh, with ongoing cost-cutting cost initiatives and share repurchases. All right, thank you. Jason Snipe. I like Hess here. It's up a lot, over 70% uh, year-to-date, but I really like their offshore exposure to Guyana. I think that's a strategic vertical. I like it. Okay, Mr. Weiss. I bought some more PSQ at the beginning of the show, as I said out loud, Scott, and I would recommend buying it now. Stocks market's going to go lower, for sure. You're going to be in there for a while? Uh, I've been there for a while, and I'll continue to be there for a while, yes. Thank you for checking. Well, I mean, you know why I ask. Yeah, I, I do know why, because I'm a very able, skilled trader on occasion, so okay. you want to know what I'm going to do. Okay. You keep us up to date on that, okay? Yes, sir. All right. I like Jason's final trade better than Steven's. My own is Dollar Tree. You could also own Dollar General. <laughs> Thinking about Home Depot, I think the place that the consumer is going is a Dollar Tree or a Dollar General. Okay. Um, let's show you the markets again, too, uh, and touch on yields. If we can uh, 
throw up the let's throw up the 10 year and the two year, frankly, because the 10 year is at just about 412 and the two year is pushing towards 460, as Joe uh, referenced earlier. The the clear distinction here, um, I mean, you can see, obviously, as yields continue to move up, stocks are are, uh, seemingly challenged in that. So I'll see you all in a few with those earnings. The exchanges now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.